I want to say a word of thanks unto the end to my friend, Frank, for the invitation to be with you all again. I was here a year ago, and we said, we should do this again. And so I wrote a whole new set of pieces, and we're talking about a third year, so maybe I'll see you next May as well. <laughs> thanks also to Lisa and the choir here for your wonderful hospitality yesterday for 120 people up here on this chancel. If you weren't here for that concert, you should come next year. It's really quite something. This room is full of music, uh, and it's a wonderful thing to hear it filled in that way. I am a sucker for those military homecoming videos. You know the ones I'm talking about? Where they don't tell the mom or the wife or God help me, the kid who's at school, that their mom or dad or their child has come home from deployment. And then they all of a sudden just show up. And there's this overwhelming joy and relief where the rest of the world completely disappears. And they run to their loved one and they hold them in an embrace so relentless you think they might not ever let go. I can watch those all day and just cry like a baby. There's something about that moment that's just so very human. The universal experience of love and longing, of worry and relief something so central to our humanity, our connectedness, our goodness, the core of who we are. Perhaps you didn't realize those videos are making a theological statement, but I think that they are. I think they speak to us of our essential goodness, an essence denied by many religious systems from the very start. We see in that homecoming the pure expression of love, without the baggage of past wrongs or hurts, not that those things don't matter, but that they can be set aside for a present moment of simple embrace, the inherent worth and dignity of every person on display. So we watch those videos, but then we scroll on, don't we? Move on to the next story of outrage and indignity, of suffering and loss, and then we're overwhelmed again with messages to the contrary, messages of worthlessness and separation, messages of hatred and violence. Perhaps we're tempted to think that people at the center of those stories are bad or evil, broken beyond repair. I don't think that's true. I think people are afraid. They don't understand their fear and they lack safe, supportive communities in which to express it. And so that fear festers and leeches out in violent acts, small and large. And we're overwhelmed with these stories of brokenness to the point that we begin to question the foundations of our faith in our essential goodness. Those homecoming videos break through the noise of violence and brokenness because they remind us of the basic truth of a parent's love for their child, of a child's love for their parent, or God help me, the dog that missed its owner. Have you seen that one, you know? When they come home and the dog goes, you know? Oh, the power in showing up, of being present, of just coming home. This month, we're exploring the idea of grace. It's not an easy concept for me to get my head around. After nearly 20 years away from traditional Christianity, it's hard to, even so, it's hard to escape from the definition of grace I learned growing up Catholic. 
Grace as the undeserved favor of God, manifested in the salvation of sinners and the bestowal of blessings. Now, as a universalist, this definition is problematic for a few reasons. First of all, I can't agree that anyone is undeserving of blessing, much less undeserving of salvation. The very idea of anyone being undeserving is rooted in a theology of corruption and inherent sinfulness that's unfathomable to me. And a God who spends his time handing out blessings while sinners fear for the state of their eternal souls is just playing a game, and I find that game unworthy of divinity. So grace as a God thing just makes it easy to dismiss the idea altogether. And when I do that, I miss out on opportunities to give and receive grace in a fully human way. There are other definitions of grace, however, that get at a deeper wisdom. I particularly like this one. Grace as the exercise of love, kindness, compassion, mercy. The disposition to benefit or serve another. That's pretty good. Grace as the disposition to benefit or serve another. This is from a book, Invisible Acts of Power, Channeling Grace in Your Everyday Life by Carolyn Miss. We te- when teaching about health and human consciousness, until now I have often defined grace as a universal life force, but now I find that to be inadequate. Life force simply is. It's a neutral, undirected energy that surrounds us and supports the vitality of all beings. Grace, on the other hand, has a spiritual quality. It is energy infused with a force greater than our own, a divine intention. When it arrives, usually unannounced or unrequested, out of the blue, it fills you with a luminous awareness that is different from everyday consciousness. It makes you come alive with vision and determination and the strength to act. Grace is also the organizing force behind coincidences, the synchronistic experiences in our life that some consider chance, but that are definitely not random. She continues, each time you reach out to another person, whether you decide to do a small favor or because you feel compelled to help, you perform an invisible act of power that has profound healing effects for you both. What might begin as a physical, sympathetic embrace, for example, can become a source of inspiration for that individual that helps her through a time of despair and well beyond. Our task is to infuse our action with all our faith and belief in its goodness and release it into the universe to do its valuable work. Now, admittedly, Some of this grace talk starts to get a little new agey, and that's when I feel my reason-loving cynicism start to creep in. How easy it is to dismiss the deeper truth of the message when we mistrust the messenger. Talking about releasing our goodness into the world seems kind of silly, doesn't it? And even if I did buy it, it's just too small. It's too inadequate a response to the enormity of the problems that we face. Just because I don't believe that we're broken from the start doesn't mean the world isn't filled with brokenness. Over and over again, we are reminded of the damage we can do when we act out of our fear and ignorance 
And the pain that we cause is real. Its effects last across generations. See, I need these stories of human kindness and connection to counter that cynicism, to counter the prevailing narrative of separation. I need those stupid videos to open the floodgates, to remind me of the simple joy of connecting with other living beings, to remind me that our small, inadequate responses are, in fact, enough. They have to be. They're all we've got. Relationship experts tell us that it takes five positive encounters with a person to erase the effects of one negative experience. Imagine if we encountered each of the negative stories that bombard us through the news and other media with five stories of grace. We know that they're out there. So many stories of love and bravery, humility, joy, compassion. We can make choices about the kinds of input we receive. We can make a spiritual practice of five to one, noticing when we're depleted, feeling the creep of despair, and actively choosing to counter that narrative. It's so simple, and yet so easy to forget and to lose our grounding. But it matters, friends. It matters that we notice what stories fill us up and how they affect our behavior. When we're absorbed in the awfulness of the world, what opportunities for kindness and blessing do we pass by without even a glance, too full of righteous indignation to notice the good that we might have done if there had simply been a little room in us for grace? There is real, difficult, heartbreaking work that calls to us in this world. And unless we're grounded in the kind of stories that reinforce our core belief in the essential goodness of humanity, then we are headed for burnout and withdrawal. There's too much at stake in the work of justice and peacemaking for us to lose hope and give in to cynicism. Because if we do, we'll miss these stories, stories of abused and abandoned pets taken in by a compassionate human who turns their life around. Stories of the choirs of Canadian children at the airport singing to welcome Syrian refugees. Stories of the firefighters in California who escorted a six-year-old child to her final chemotherapy session on their fire truck in a parade. Stories of the Muslim family at a North Carolina olive garden on Christmas Eve, and they received their bill, and it said, beautiful family, Merry Christmas. Bill's paid. All you have to do, really, truly, is Google good news. It's that simple. And of course, the stories are not just out there. They're right here in our community, right here in this room. I challenge you to take some time to reflect on a recent story of grace, of good news in your life. And share it with someone as soon as this service is over, at coffee hour. You just don't know the power of that story, what good it might unleash in the world. We can be vessels of grace because we can love. And so we must. It really is that simple and that difficult. 
May we continue to inspire and challenge one another to live and love with our hearts wide open. May it be so, and amen.